Welcome to the Why on Earth Communities Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. Today I'm so thrilled we have the opportunity to visit with my friend Chip Cummins. Hey Chip. Hey, what's happening here? It's great to have you on the show today. Thanks for uh, doing it. Absolutely. Chip Cummins is the chairman and CEO of the American Renewable Energy Institute, AREI, and founder of the R-Day Summit Expo and Film Festival. He is president and CEO of American Spirit Productions and managing director of We Energy. In 2009, he produced 13 official side events at the UNFCCC COP15 in Copenhagen, Denmark, and presented at the UNFCCC COP16 in Cancun, Mexico. That's the United Nations uh, climate gatherings. Uh, COP21 in Paris, France. 2015 and COP22 in Marrakesh, Morocco in 2016. Chip has produced and directed both long and short form documentary films for educational and broadcast television markets, including the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, the Department of Energy's Wind Powering America, PBS, Link TV, BET, and Discovery Networks. The American Renewable Energy Institute advocates for the rapid implementation of climate solutions using the latest breakthroughs in renewable energy, energy efficiency, adaptation, and resilience strategies. In 2014, he produced the 11th anniversary R-Day Summit, Accelerating Solutions for the Great Transition, featuring President Jimmy Carter. Prime Minister Kevin Rudd was a keynote speaker at R-Day 15, and Iceland President Olafur Grimson at R-Day 2016. Chip is an associate producer on the 2015 film Racing Extinction and executive producer developing a new feature documentary, Carbon Negative. Chip, it's a real pleasure to have this opportunity to visit and talk with you today and I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, the information, the messaging and some info about upcoming event, a uh, big event that uh, that you have to share today. So uh, let's dive in and, and get going with it. Happy to, Aaron, happy to. You know, I, I think with our day, I've, I've been to a few of the conferences over the years, and you, you have an incredible gift for convening some of the foremost thinkers, thought leaders, influencers globally. What, what this year do you think is most notable in terms of who's gonna be coming together here in a couple weeks? Right. Thank you, Aaron. Um, you know, we're very proud of the fact that we started our day um, in 2004, and uh, this will be our 16th uh, summit. Um, you know, we've started as a small street fair expo, and we just sort of evolved uh, into uh, the Our Day Summit. Uh, very proud of the fact that uh, once Ted Turner came in 2008, he came back five uh, more times, and uh, T. Boone Pickens uh, also. So while we're not uh, to the right or to the left, we're actually, uh, you know, right in the middle. We're not red or blue or green, the color of trees and money in the United States, which is pairing the economy and the environment, which is so important. Um, this year, in uh, August of 2019, August 14, 15, 16, 17, <clears throat> it's a Wednesday through a Saturday, upcoming, uh, we're going to have 100 uh, speakers from around the world that will be talking about uh, the great solution because we're going to have to now aggregate all of our efforts to 
actually work together to rapidly stop the burning and start the implementation, acceleration, and the replication of all of the solution uh, technologies that we have on the planet because we have now crossed the threshold of two trillion tons of anthropogenically forced carbon and that is collapsing the biosphere. So I've asked some of my leading colleagues and friends to join us uh, here in Aspen Snowmass uh, next month to discuss this and, and to just go specifically to your question what I'm excited about the most uh, is that we're featuring a new breakthrough technology called HERO hydrogen energy release optimization what a great acronym huh? it is and HERO is a, a new discovery that was only found in 2015 and it's activated by hydrogen and oxygen. But we now know that we can control a heat releasing catalyst without burning anything. And we can heat water at the same temperature that we use a coal-fired furnace to spin a turbine for our baseload energy. And also a gas-fired furnace. And we know that a lot of our electricity comes from coal and gas. Of course. And so this is going to be a remarkable R day because Hero is on display. It's a discovery out of Australia, a company called Planet Power Systems. Uh, Andrew Horvath is the executive chairman. And we will open up the R day summit focusing on this. We followed by a morning of conversation around hydrogen, what it is, why it is. Remember, hydrogen is the first element in the periodic chart, number one. And H2O, that's water, and this yeah. is the water planet. Right. So it's very interesting that it turns out that we're being offered this uh, incredible technology that could this transform the entire energy system around the planet. I'll finish with that there's 14,000 coal plants on planet Earth every one of them. We could take out the coal-fired furnace, we could put in the HERO unit, and we can still have our same industrial outputs at the same frequency and baseload that we now have with burning coal and gas. That means that we can maintain our same level of civilization and manufacture our, our Teslas and our iPhones and all of those things that are taking more and more energy each year, especially with the advent of 5G, which is going to put a huge pressure on the amount of electricity that we use as a civilization. You know, uh, Chip, it's to me so exciting. I, I recently uh, experienced some presentations by the, by the group that is uh, sharing the HERO technology with the world. And the, the fact that it is a potential drop-in for existing coal and natural gas uh, generating infrastructure is tremendous. I mean, this ultimately means that the utilities, some of the major players that have invested billions and trillions in long-term assets actually have not only a very compelling climate solution, but also a very compelling economic solution to their operations. The whole model is based on economics. Yeah. We know that the only way that we're going to make a transition 
from fossil fuels to clean energy and all of the suite of renewables is going to be that we're going to make more money by burning less fossil fuels until we actually X them out and then we burn zero fossil fuels. And when we get to the portion of the podcast where we talk about the five verticals of solution, I'll go into that. But the reality is that, um, you know, the creator has an amazing sense of humor because here at the 11th hour with seven and a half billion people on the planet having put two trillion tons of co2 up in the atmosphere we now have the keys to be able to actually accomplish the tax and unlock that uh that door that will allow us uh a clean energy future for our children for all the animals on the planet for all the rest of the life on earth that right now we're hammering hard well, I, I'm, I'm really, as, as I'm sure you probably uh, can uh, guess, I'm excited to get into the five verticals of solution because there are a couple in there that are so near and dear to my heart. But before, before we go there, I just, for our audience who maybe are hearing about uh, Hero um, for the first time, would you mind just give, giving a, a brief description as to how it actually works? Sure. It, it just doesn't need to be technical, this doesn't need to be the, the PhD version, but just so folks no, understand fine. what we're talking about, that would be great. Look, I'm so excited about this HERO technology that I've actually been down there to visit uh, the HERO labs uh, twice in the last four months, and that's Australia, so that's a long way to go, and let me tell you, it's tiring if you do that. but. Uh, I will say that Hero is a uh, uh, it's a catalyst. In the, okay, so in the search for cold fusion, right. which the company Star Scientific has been at for about thirty years, which some people think is not even feasible, right? Others think might be a good solution. But they were getting very close to some breakthroughs, and the Australian government knew that, and they were keeping a very close eye on it <coughs> under the uh, guidance of Dr. Uh, Stephen Harwath. Now Stephen. Harvath has passed on, but he, he passed his company and his knowledge on to his son Andrew, who was mm-hmm. along at his elbow the whole time. And in the search for cold fusion, uh, they went and started looking at muon fusion. Now I'm not going to pretend that I can explain what that is, but to say that they discovered a heat-releasing event by accident that actually, once they realized they, they had something that was happening consistently. They have now come up with, four years later, a catalyst that they can code onto metals that um, actually allows for the consistent and constant heating of water to 700 degrees Celsius, which is the temperature that we burn coal at to spin a turbine well, to, to heat water into a steam that then spins a turbine that then produces electricity that we transmit in a centralized uh, distribution of energy. So this is the grid that we're talking about now and how power is produced and transmitted throughout the United States. And just a quick course, a refresher, uh, there's three grids in the USA. There's the Eastern grid, there's the Western grid, and then there's the Texas grid. Right. And they don't really talk to each other very well. And most of the energy that we have uh, for the production of electricity, which accounts for 40 to 50 percent of all the carbon that we burn, so we have to talk about the other sectors of carbon release, the liquid fuels that burn in our automobiles, etc. But on, on the electricity production side, we get it from burning coal, 
we get it from burning gas, natural gas, mm -hmm. small bit of oil. Uh, hydropower provides a big chunk of it. A nuclear power also, which emits no carbon, but is problematic in other areas, especially economically. And, um, and then a small bit of, <coughs> of wind and solar, about 10% of the mix. And so, um, so, and geothermal, sorry, let's leave out geothermal um, as an um, industrial uh, application, but utility scale. Uh, but, but the point is, is that we do these in a centralized power distribution method, meaning that the plants produce it out in the middle of nowhere, usually because people don't want to live around coal plants and the unfortunate people that do are impacted heavily by the airborne particulates uh, not to mention the carbon that's put into the atmosphere that affects all of us uh, and that's acidifying the oceans very badly and causing a catastrophic collapse in our coral reefs as an example but we also um, uh, need to recognize that they then distribute the power over thousands of miles of cables these are the high tension power lines that we see crisscrossing our nation and then step down to substations and finally it comes into the home and out your wall, okay? So that's most of the energy in our country is, a, is delivered, electricity is delivered in a centralized power uh, production formula. We're, now we've been moving slowly in the last 20 years to a distributed form of energy and that's when you can actually have solar panels on your home and a battery pack in your house to store the energy and then you can become an islanded and you can actually disconnect from the grid. Although the majority of the solar in the home is, is actually uh, uh, grid tied and they put it back into the grid as peaker power that the utilities use in a mix of fossil and renewable. Uh, I'm an advocate as the chairman of the American Renewable Energy Institute to a 100% renewable energy, um, clean energy, uh, uh, from all, all, all different applications. We just simply have got to stop drilling into the planet and pumping out the oil, the coal, and the gas. That has, that, those days have got to be left behind in order for us to have a future. Uh, so, um, you know, I'll just uh, tell you that I think that it's amazing to me the healing capacity of Mother Earth mm -hmm. uh, if you give her a break yeah. and you just take your foot off of the accelerator and just let her breathe and stop cutting down the forests and stop pumping the carbon into the atmosphere and stop drilling into her guts and pumping out this gas and, and using up all the fresh water for this fossil fuel production. And if we do that, the regenerative capacities are just simply amazing. It's so true. And, uh, you know, your, your framework, the five verticals of solution, I think really speaks to this and indicates uh, this healing capacity. Of course, uh, with the Why on Earth community, one of the central and foundational things we're focused on uh, fits very nicely into your framework. And uh, we're big fans of framework. It, I think, helps us understand how to uh, perceive complex scenarios and also how to act, uh, how to 
uh, organize and direct our actions and our activities uh, within a complex framework. So I just love that you've got the five verticals of solution and I'm really excited to share this with our audience, Chip, and, and I'm hoping you could kind of run us through what are the five verticals and, and in each, what, what are some of the biggest opportunities we have right sure. now? Sure, so uh, happy to do that, Aaron, and, um, and, and uh, I'll tell you that um, um, it's all possible, and um, not only that, but it's, uh, it's something that we're doing. It's happening. And it's happening. Yeah. So, um, like my friend Jamie Redford's film, it's called Happening, and that's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's about the transition from fossil to renewable. So, the first vertical of solution is in the electricity production sector. We've sort of already gone over that, but basically what that means is that we've got to stop the burning. We've got to yeah. stop the digging, and we've got to transition from burning the coal and the oil and the gas for the production of electricity. And that's where um, the HERO a catalyst can come in and, and that is seen, HERO is seen as a market activator for the transition from a fossil to a hydrogen economy globally. Because we know that hydrogen can be, uh, you know, we can, we can get it, uh, we can store it, uh, we can ship it. There's lots of ways to do that. Um, uh, one of the ways, by the way, is to use ammonia or NH3, which is one part, one nitrogen molecule, three hydrogen, and um, uh, that's much easier to ship than pure hydrogen, uh, and uh, so we can. That's a great storage medium, and then we can uh, crack it and pull the hydrogen out of the ammonia. And then the atmosphere is 78% nitrogen, so it's it's a it's a it's a non-issue yeah. in terms of that the release of that. Um, so, so that's the, um, the transition in the electricity sector. And of course, you know, utility scale solar and wind factor in because that's been the largest sector of the electricity uh, generation uh, industry in the last 20 years. First wind and now solar has come on very strong with the, uh, the drop in prices of the solar panels. Uh, and that battery storage is being you know, um, implemented around the world to give us some backup power, but even that is not a long-term solution. Batteries are very toxic, they take a lot of uh, rare earth elements, and on top of that they have a, a lifespan of X amount of years, and then they have to be recycled. So, And then you have to also look at how much carbon do we burn manufacturing the solar panels, manufacturing the wind turbines, the blades, the nacelles, and the batteries and all the elements. And, you know, I mean, the cobalt that we get from the deep jungles of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, the DRC, uh, the Congo, you know, there's there's child labor that's happening there. That's just that's just horrific. Okay, so we really want to be aware of the entire life cycle of how we get all of our materials in a closed uh, uh, circular system, um, and uh, the idea that would, we would emit no energy into the atmosphere is the point. We want to operate on uh, a closed loop system where the the uh, uh, the, uh, the energy that is used and the, um, and the emissions that are produced go become the primary energy of the next system and you just go around the circle and nothing is emitted into the atmosphere. Yep. Uh, so that's the first vertical of solution. Second vertical first, is... First is stop the burning. Stop the burning okay. and, and, and the immediate transition in the uh, utility uh, scale of the electricity production sector. Most of the burning we're doing uh, on that on that vertical is um, uh, the coal and the gas. Okay. Moving over um, 
to the uh, oh, I, okay before we move over I, I want to mention that the liquid fuels yes. that go into 1.5 billion cars trucks and buses has is also part of that vertical and that we have got to um, stop running our vehicles on gasoline and we need to replace that with um, green energy now there's a company um, up in Canada called carbon engineering that Bill Gates has been funding and they pull carbon out of the atmosphere they mix it with hydrogen, again hydrogen, and they have a green fuel that can replace gasoline in the car that you drive today mm -hmm. with the ICE motor, which is the internal combustion engine. And so uh, we know that uh, we can do this. Now, even though there are emissions out the tailpipe, this is not something that's coming from inside the earth. So that's considered to be carbon neutral because right. those gases are already out in the atmosphere and we're pulling them out and then we're reusing them within uh, the system. Um, the second vertical is uh, the direct air captured conversation. And this is about the fact that since the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, the human race has burnt into the atmosphere, uh, anthropogenically forced about two trillion tons of carbon. And, and that's all in, you know, burning um, everything. And that's a function of two things. That's a function of population, and it's a function of economic growth. So it took all of human history to make one billion people, and that was about the time of the Revolutionary War in America, 1775 thereabouts. Mm -hmm. But the population went from one to two billion uh, by 1900. In 125 years, it doubled. Yeah. And between 1900, the time of Teddy Roosevelt, and today, 119 years later, it went from two billion to 7.5. And that's the point. So we're on an exponential population growth curve uh, that has actually exploded. I mean, when I was born in the mid 50s, uh, there was approximately th three billion people. Well, now there's almost eight, and that's only in you know 63 years. So yeah. the point is that um, uh, the human race is is uh, is driving this great burning of fossil fuels. And um, the other interesting point is that uh, of the two trillion tons. Half has been burnt since 1985. Uh -huh. Okay, so what are we going to do about that to solve it? We know that we have technology called direct air capture that can actually pull the carbon out of the atmosphere, this invisible gas, and we can store it back in the ground so it will never leak out again. Yep. And that is called Global Thermostat. That's a company in New York with Peter Eisenberger and Graciela Chiltoninsky, funded by Edgar Bronfman, the Canadian billionaire. It's also called Climeworks, which is in Geneva, Switzerland, run by two young uh, co-CEOs that employ 100 people and have uh, plants already operational today. And their money comes out of the Swiss government. Um, and that um, we, there's a third company that's operational called Blue Planet which is in San Francisco, and what they're doing is they're pulling the carbon out of the stack and they're putting it in concrete, and they have a contract that with the San Francisco uh, uh, International Airport in the city of San Francisco right now, deploying. So as, as the, the key to that vertical is pricing carbon. We must have a carbon tax or a price on carbon. And, as, and when we get to that place, that's going to change the economics of solution radically and globally and, and drive this forward. So um, uh, the, the fifth one is Klaus Lochner. He's the grandfather of direct air capture. 
and he's the guy who is now set up down at uh, Arizona uh, ASU, and and um, and his technology is very very potent. Uh, basically, it looks like trees, and and, mm. and it has to do with surface. It's kind of like these pine trees around us here, and we could deploy these and cover you know deserts with this uh, this tech, and it just it just takes the carbon out of the atmosphere. Now, what do we do with the carbon? That's where we go to look at. Uh, CCS, carbon capture and storage, but a lot of these techs um, are, are um, mm, dubious, okay? Uh, the biggest carbon market in the world is enhanced oil recovery, uh, that the fossil fuel companies, they take the carbon, they pump it back into an old oil well, and they get 30% more oil out of it. Well, first of all, that's the wrong direction, and secondly, we're not sure if that carbon is going to be sequestered down there forever. Maybe it leaks out again. Mm -hmm. so we have to be we have to be sure about this. So uh, I'm not a big fan of EOR uh, enhanced oil recovery, but I am a big fan of all of the other things that we use for carbon. We can use carbon to make uh, parts for airplanes and bicycles, carbon fibers. We can use carbon for bubbles and soda pop. But of course, you know that can get back out. Uh, we can use carbon. Uh, for uh, regenerating soils, that's mm -hmm. a big, big deal. That's yep. another vertical we'll talk about. Right. And uh, but we can also uh, use it um, to uh, to just basically it, it's it's a it's a wonderful thing that we have um, to to basically have what comes out of our mouth, what comes out of burning out of the tailpipe is a useful product in, in so many ways, but until we can find a market mechanism and put a value on that carbon, um, it's always gonna be a problem. Mm -hmm. Finally, there's a new breakthrough in sequestration that is called CarbFix. They discovered it in Reykjavik at the Helishidi geothermal power plant where we're pulling carbon out of the atmosphere, demonstrating it on site, if anybody wants to go over there. Mm -hmm and we're pumping it down into the ground, a mile down into the ground, and we're mineralizing the carbon onto basalt rock. So it becomes mineralized, so it will never leak out again. We're turning the carbon into rock, basically. Okay, so I'm not really a big fan of all the carbon products that we can come up with, because there's many, many. Mm. Carbon, you know, we can put mm. it into plastics, other things, you know, replace the plastic, you know, iPhone covers, whatnot. But, but really what we need to do, because there's so, I mean, if we have to take out one trillion tons or 1,000 gigatons, you know, the amount of products that we'll get out of that are, is about that big. Yeah. So we're still going to have to store the majority of it back in the ground so it doesn't leak out. And that's why CarbFix is very promising, because it works along the Atlantic Rift, which runs from the North Pole to the South Pole. It splits right through Iceland. And we know technically that we can take gigatons, put it back into the ground and mineralize it in the form of basalt mm. rock. Mm. So that we'll never that again. So we gotta know that we can do this. So that's vertical number two. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> the third vertical of solution is that we have to we have to basically make a transition uh, in our in the way that we think about how we produce uh, food, animals. Uh, we know that one-fifth of the CO2 or the methane comes from cutting down the trees to grow the animals to feed the people. Right. You know, billions of cows and pigs and chickens all over the planet. Um, 
while I don't think it's likely the human race is all going to become vegan, mm. I do think that we can become much more smarter about how we produce our food. Yes. And that goes directly to the restoration of, uh, of the uh, Earth's um, soils yes. that can sequester gigatons of carbon. So while we can put a lot of it down into the salt rock, we also can put a lot of it into the soils of the planet. And, and soil restoration, which connects to community-supported agriculture, right. which connects to vibrant localism yes. in terms of resiliency, in terms of how communities can become self-sufficient using um, island energy or, or distributed energy from renewable energy in combination with uh, soil uh, regeneration. So it's very important to think about how these solutions all kind of act together and that while there's no silver bullet, there's lots of silver buckshot that can work in consort and in collaboration um, and in strategic partnership with each other. Yes. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, the vertical of solution that uh, has to do with the ocean. Before, before we go to the ocean, I just want to insert, uh, interject a couple of quick comments about soil regeneration. Of sure. course, this is uh, so central to the work we're doing at the Y on Earth community. We're coming out very soon with a community mobilization kit, which folks could use uh, in their own communities, their own uh, church congregations, their own uh, business complexes, whatever it might be. And we're utilizing the biodynamic uh, soil activation uh, preparations and uh, already we've been doing these events all around the country. One of the things I find to be so potent about what this helps us do is at the community level, at the individual level, at the level of a park like this, one we're sitting in, or a yard, a garden, we can go into direct collaboration with the living biome, the living biosphere of the soil and help trigger a sequence, a cascading sequence of biological phenomena that build more soil. And one of the stats that blew me out of the water I came across when I was putting together the Soil Stewardship Handbook is that if we increase, or let me say as, we increase uh, soil carbon by 10% worldwide, that equates to a total capture of all the fossil carbon we've released since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And as we're looking at carbon cycle on the planet, of course that tells us there's a whole lot of carbon in soil uh, relative to the amount of carbon in atmosphere. And uh, certainly in some areas we have the potential to do 3, 4x, that's, that's not 10%, that's 300, 400% increases in soil. In other areas it might be much less than 10%, but the point is this is something we can engage in, any of us, regardless of background, education, locality, age, you know, from two-year-olds to 92-year-olds, we've been doing these events with, with folks from all backgrounds and, and uh, ages. And it's also a fun way to come together in community, knowing we are working now to heal the land, to heal ourselves, our, our relations. And I'm struck by that, that quote from President uh, Franklin Roosevelt, he said, a nation that destroys its soil destroys itself. And there must be a corollary, a nation that heals its soil heals itself. 
And we all know, I think, in this country, we need a lot of healing right now. We sure do. Uh, we've never lived in a more divided America than we do right now. Not even in the Civil War was it this bad, in my view. Uh, and remember, in the Civil War, there was, you know, probably, I don't know, 100 million Americans, if that, maybe 75. Well, today there's 350. Yeah. You know, I mean, the pop relative to the world population. So, it's and our media continues to exacerbate that every day, you know, no matter what news you choose to watch. Um, but I believe that, you know, we're all Americans. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what color of our skin or what our religion or what our political affiliation. You know, we're all Americans, you know. As my good friend Winona LaDuke likes to say, you know, we might have come, come over here on different boats, but we're all in one boat now. No doubt about that. <laughs> Indigenous wisdom. <laughs> yes. Um, and that's a really, you know, interesting point is that our day is, um, you know, some people say our day, some people say air day, some, I like to say our day, like every day is American Renewable Energy Day. But if you look real closely at it, you'll see that it's, you know, A-R-E-D-A-Y, and that's A-Red Day. Yeah. And our day actually literally was born out of my work with the tribes uh, up in the Northern Great Plains, uh, working, making films, and really working on the issues of social and economic justice for those who deserve it and need it the most. Yeah, yeah. Such a beautiful and deep connection in it. For me, um, it, it strikes so deeply, Chip, that when you're convening our day, and I, I want to make sure we're giving a quick plug for folks who want to see more information, there's great video resources, um, recorded resources, uh, you'll get a rundown of all the speakers. Uh, go to rday.net and you'll check that out. And, and you know, you're bringing together so many technical experts, you're bringing together so many economic experts, thought leaders, brilliant people, and it has this heart-centric foundation that I think probably uh, has a very deep and direct tie to your work with uh, Indigenous and First Nations. And that, that heartfulness, I, I, I sense, is so essential in, this times, in these times. You know, we may resolve all the technical challenges, but not resolve the challenges of the heart, the challenges of culture, the challenges of relationship that are really at the core of, of these complex uh, global situations that we're talking about and dealing with. So it's, uh, I think, a, a real testament, Chip, that um, there is that, that heart at the center of everything you're doing. Well, thank you, Aaron, to note that we always have had the indigenous perspective, the spiritual perspective in the Arde um, context and in, in the summit. We, we invite in, uh, spiritual leaders from indigenous area, uh, whether it's Lakota or uh, maybe a tribe in uh, Mexico or Hawaiian or where have you, to bring in the indigenous wisdom, which of course is how do we live in balance with nature and that you know, man did not, you know, weave the web of life. He is only but a strand in it, to, to quote Chief Seattle. Uh, and that we must go to our indigenous uh, relatives and elders for, to, to get that wisdom now that we need it so badly because um, that's what renewable energy is. You know, that's what, uh, that's how the universe is comprised. You know, Mother Earth 
what does she do? She takes the energy of the sun, the father's sun, and she converts it through photosynthesis yeah. into oxygen and, and perfectly sequesters the carbon. You know, what is it that we become when we pass away? We become the coal and the oil and the gas. That's what it is. It's all the old life that's now dead for 500 million years. It's the trees, it's the phytoplankton, it's the animals. Oh, and it's our grandparents. It is us. I am that. Om Mane Padme Om in Sanskrit. I am that I am or I am that. And that's what that, that mantra means, in fact. You know, here's the metaphor. You know, we, we have Mother Earth who is a living, breathing being just like you and I. And we drill into her and we remove the oil and the coal and the gas, which is the ancestors of all life itself. And we burn it in a very short period of time, 150 years, for what? For, for short-term power and money. And we use it and that allows us to exponentially um, you know, grow our population. In my opinion, that's the main driver. You know, the two hockey stick graphs that track is the carbon and the human population growth mm -hmm. on an exponential, and they, and, and they each uh, uh, drive the other. Yeah. But uh, that, but the point is, is that, and that all things are connected. You know, ho metakwiyasan, all my relations, mm -hmm. and in that connection, from the smallest, you know, microcosm of the atomic structure of an atom to the soil under our feet that E.O. Wilson, the great biologist, will tell you has trillions of cell life moving forms and the, the entire earth is a fabric of life that is interconnected and moving just like all the cells in your body, the trillions of cells in your body that are dying and regenerating on a daily basis, interacting with your blood and your bones and your lymph and all of the other physical structures. But that's connected out to everything else in, in the world and that uh, and, and the indigenous intrinsically understand this and always have for tens of thousands and perhaps millions of years, however long we've been around. And that we have the, uh, the wonderful opportunity now that we have deconstructed the fabric of, of, of the world to actually understand that and put it back together. I think that that's one of the, the marvels of, of modern science and technology. You know, when Albert Einstein, you know, figured out E equals MC squared, yeah. and everybody else had figured out everything else. It gives us, you know, a hundred years ago we were, you know, riding around on horses and buggies, and now we're using iPhones and computers and Teslas in order to, you know, move ourselves through the world. So, you know, if, if time is um, it looks like anything in my view it looks like a nautilus and it goes like this and now we're down here at the crack of the whip and mm -hmm. everything's speeding up like mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. and so I, I know i've sort of segued into some philosophical understanding but i think that it's, it's really important, important to, yeah. add, to add that element not to mention the spiritual aspect yes. of of solution uh because if we don't have that you know which might be considered the sixth vertical uh -huh. you know <laughs> Which, was, which is we have to be able to understand what we truly are, because after all, we're only spirits having a physical experience, yeah. right? And while we can't contemplate you know, not being here, and it seems like eternity while we are here, it's not. Mm. And it's a very mm. short period of time in the scheme of things. Yeah. And in fact, the Earth's life cycle itself is a short period of time mm. in the grand scheme of things, which is predicted to be about four, five billion years total, right? So. I love it, Chip. Well, let me uh, 
before we get to the oceans, which is next on the list, let me let me just give a couple quick shout outs. This is the Wine Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. And we are having a fabulous uh, experience here in this park up high in the mountains. Uh, we are spirits having a physical experience. I like to say we're spirits having a neurobiochemical experience. And uh, it's, it's a delightful day, Chip, speaking with you. Chip Cummins, the chairman and CEO of the American Renewable Energy Institute, as well as the founder of the R-Day Summit. The next summit, which is the 16th annual, is coming up August 14th through 17th in uh, the Aspen Snowmass, Colorado area. Uh, you can get information to register, to join, to check it out at rday.net. That's A-R-E-D-A-Y.net. And I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors for the podcast series. Uh, thanks for all of your support for making all of our community mobilization work possible. Uh, these include Patagonia, the International Society of Sustainability Professionals, the Lidge Family Foundation, Waylay Waters, Earth Coast Productions, Purium, and the Association of Waldorf Schools of North America. Uh, also, a huge thanks to all of you who have joined our monthly giving program. Uh, you can join, if you haven't yet already, at whyonearth.org. You'll see a link to the donate page. You can sign up to give whatever amount works for you on a monthly basis. When you do so, you will receive an exclusive code for free downloads of all of our ebook and audiobook resources as a thank you for that support. And uh, we are having a, just a, a full and rich conversation here, Chip. My, uh, my notes are about to fill up two whole pages. I see you're showing the, the visual, the front back cover for the upcoming Our Day. Uh, from competition to collaboration, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thank so. you. Yeah, I think that we're going to have to um, collaborate in order to come through this period yeah. that we have entered. Uh, the, the Hopi ancestors, they prophesized this time yep. a great change, a great transition. But they also said that, you know, when the river rises and you find yourself in the middle of the river, look around. See who's in there with you. It could be a good time. Celebrate. <laughs> it could be a good time. Indeed, brother. And it is. Yeah. It is. Yes, yeah. it's very exciting to be alive at this particular time, and I'm very grateful for being here now. <clears throat> be here now, as Ram Das likes to say. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the ocean yes. and the fifth vertical of solution, because the ocean, you know, in reality, this should be called the planet ocean. Yes, it's 78% ocean, and as President Kennedy once pointed out composition of the ocean exactly equates the composition of our blood. It's the yeah. same, same elements. We come from the ocean. The ocean is where life first originated. It's where the phytoplankton began to interact with the, with the uh, sunlight and created uh, respiration. And so that the earth is breathing being just like you and I, respirating north and south, winter and summer and that the, the, the issue of abundance that we talk about a lot really is about how, look at nature, look what it does. It provides, mm. okay? It doesn't ask for return. It just gives and then it gives a little more. It's, an, it's, a, it's actually a concept in the indigenous ways of seeing 
it's called give way, give hyphen way. And what it means is that you give, and then you give the original give a little push. And that's, then you're in the universal cycle. That's how gravity works, that's how the sun works, that's how the planets work going around the sun, and now you're in the cycle of the universe or the way or the Tao they talk about in the Orient. And so um, when it comes to the ocean, it's so important. And my dear, dear friend, Dr. Sylvia Earle, who's one of the most important advocates for the ocean on the planet and who is um, known as her deepness because she has the deepest dive record for any uh, woman and, and of any human, really, one of, one of the many, anyway, um, and has been advocating for the health of the oceans, for the fish in the sea, and that, you know, we're, 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 we're taking out so many fish to feed the human population that now it's, uh, it's questionable whether or not certain species are going to survive and that whether or not, um, you know, we're going to, um, that basically now it looks like there's more plastic in the ocean than there are fish. So in terms of the verticals of solution, we're going to have to stop farming the ocean the way that we have been and treating it like an endless supply. You know, when Amory Lovins and his uh, then wife Hunter Lovins and their colleague Paul Hawken uh, wrote a book called Natural Capitalism, the fundamental premise of natural capitalism was that we weren't being honest on a balance sheet. Mm -hmm. and we weren't accounting for the natural materials correctly. Yeah. And so the trees and the fish and the water and uh, the natural resources, we, we consider, capitalism considers them as an endless supply, right. including the atmosphere, that we can pack as much garbage into the atmosphere as we like. Yeah. You know, and as Al Gore has said over and over, we're treating the atmosphere like an open sewer. And we've just got to stop because the feedback loops are now coming fast and furious, and we know that the disrupted cycles of the weather, uh, the, uh, the temperature is rising on the planet, global warming is a real thing, it is being forced by the humans, this is not natural background variation, no matter what anybody thinks. <laughs> That's what the science indicates. You know, 99 out of 100 scientists say that, and yet the one scientist is given equal you know, a voice on any newspaper or television talk show or newscast, which is really, really unfortunate and a great disservice. But it's, it's confusing a lot of people. I was just two days ago talking with some friends uh, not too far from here, and what's what's happening in popular media around this discussion is truly causing a lot of confusion among the populace. It really is, and people are being lied to, yep. and they're saying that science doesn't matter, and really, uh, science equates to physics, and physics equates to truth. So right. saying the truth doesn't matter mm -hmm. is, um, mm -hmm. well, that's one step away from, you know, a totalitarian, a authoritarian to dictatorship. Right. Okay. Right. We don't want that. So let's pull ourselves back in, and the good people of the earth and the good people of America mm -hmm. and around the world are going to stand up, and, and they're going to have to follow in the footsteps of the youth. But before we get to the youth, because we need to finish on, on that piece, yep, yep. you know, why on earth and the entire incredible youth movement being led by people like Greta Thunberg and Chutezcott Martinez and uh, so many others. Mm. Um, I want to finish on the, the fifth vertical of solution, which has to do with the ocean. And that means that we are going to have to develop the technologies, because we don't have them yet. We have technologies for all the others but we don't know how to take the acid back out of the ocean. That's a lot of gallons of water out there right. when you talk about all the oceans of the world. 
but the ocean is becoming acidified and it's forcing the collapse of the coral reefs and the great barrier reef in Australia which has lost half of its corals in the last 10 years and that is something that's happening the oceans are the biggest carbon sink for all of these pollutants that we've been put up there because uh, carbon is a pollutant and, and, it, and it's now becoming over acidified and it's affecting literally the ability of oysters and clams to make their shells and, and, and it's going throughout the entire uh, you know, uh, uh, food chain. Um, so, so that's something that you know, humans are very, very smart and we're working on it. There are some bright spots. We're, looking, we're learning how to uh, actually, uh, we're developing special species of uh, coral that are, are heat resistant and, and we're repopulating coral reefs. That's happening. Um, there's gonna be a lot of breakthroughs in that. Uh, additionally, uh, perhaps the most, one of the most difficult problems is that we're going to have to take the oil, which is the plastic. Remember, plastic is oil, right. and we're going to have to pull that back out of the ocean. The problem, of course, is that since we began creating plastic since, the, say, the late 60s, in earnest, um, a lot of that old plastic that's in the ocean breaks down and it becomes um, microscopic. microscopic. And, and that's becoming distributed all throughout uh, the water. So that's right. a very difficult problem, but I believe that we're going to uh, develop technologies that we don't have yet that will bind up and attract back in to be able to extract out of um, so that, um, I mean, eventually, you know, we know that the Earth is the greatest recycler of all. And that, in fact, we've already seen in the last 500 million years, five great extinction events. And without going through all of them, I will say that the one that happened 263 million years ago, that killed everything on the planet down to 4% of all of it, ocean and land. But the shark swam through it, it's 400 million years old. And that the earth always will regenerate itself. And so that's just the way it is. Yes. And and so we can we can rest assured that Mother Earth knows best. <laughs> right. <laughs> well that's fabulous, Chip. Well, Mother Earth knows best the wisdom that helps us think in terms of future generations, several gen seven generations, etc. Uh, I think kind of brings us around to the the youth movements and you're tracking so many amazing potent growing youth movements uh, at a planetary scale chip I know you've invited several of those youth leaders into the upcoming our day uh, conference and could you just tell us a little about what's what's happening with Chastescott and some of the other sure. leaders what what what's what's happening right now sure okay so we're really excited that um, first of all let me start with uh, Slater Jewel Kempker. So she's a woman now, she's 27, but she's been making a film since 2009. She started in Copenhagen uh, when I was there doing uh, my, my thing uh, at the COP15, producing a film called Youth Unstoppable. And now that film is almost finished. It actually is finished and we're going to screen that. And that's documenting this growing youth mm. movement but mm. going back 10 years, over the past 10 years. Beautiful. And she went to COP16 and she went to COP15 in Paris as well. And she goes around the world uh, focused. So that's a really, really important film. 
But she's going to be joined by uh, Shutezcut Martinez, who might be the single um, most recognizable of the youth leaders in the United States. He's an Aztec uh, young man who is his, his, he's written a book. He has appeared on Bill Maher on HBO. He has been uh, in uh, some Leo DiCaprio documentaries. Um, he has a band that's uh, quite something. He is the youth uh, director of uh, the Earth Guardian uh, nonprofit organization that his mom runs, uh, Tamara. And they're part of a national movement. And in fact, he's one of the plaintiffs uh, on uh, Juliana versus the United States. And so we're very happy that the executive director of our Children's Trust, Julia Olson, will also be joining us to give us updates. This is the, the lawsuit that the youth have filed from many states around the country, including Colorado, uh, against the United States government uh, that they're not protecting their future by allowing this continued burning of, of carbon into the atmosphere, what I call the great burning, to continue. Mm. And that, uh, so we'll be having that discussion and we'll be looking to the youth leaders. Um, and oh, by the way, Shutezcut will be joined by another indigenous 17-year-old uh, young woman named Xie, uh, X-I-Y-E, uh, uh, and she is from, Xie is the daughter of uh, Mendahi and Geraldine uh, Batista, who uh, work with uh, Karenna Gore, actually, over in uh, New York City at the Union um, uh, uh, Seminary. Um, and uh, she'll be coming uh, to lend her feminine perspective. So I love the balance of, you know, male, female, indigenous youth coming together. Both are 17, both are indigenous, both are leading. Um, uh, Shia is becoming actually quite an international leader as well. Uh, and Shutezcot is as well. And, and both of their names start with X, so we're calling that double X. Love it, double X. <laughs> Marks the spot. Yep. And uh, really looking forward to that, um, uh, that whole uh, track at the R Day Summit. Cool. Well, this is great, Chip. And uh, just a, a, another quick reminder, if any of you want to check out R Day, hopefully you can join us. Uh, go to rday.net. Uh, Chip, it's been absolutely wonderful speaking with you today. Thank you for taking the time to visit with me and, and share your messages with the Why on Earth community. My pleasure, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me. And. Um, you know, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna do this, we're doing it. We're doing it, <laughs> all right, brother. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org backslash support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code WHYONEARTH, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. 
Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.